right. Well, you know, this is my favorite time of the week um, because I just love that intro music so much. I, 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 I really, oh, I'm not that into yeah. the podcast. I just, um, <laughs> that intro music. You, you ah. literally just punch your way through seven days of the week and 45 minutes of filler on the podcast just to listen to that 15 seconds of just wholesome 15, goodness. You know, and I mean, I honestly, if I, if I thought there was a chance that I could convince my future wife to walk down the aisle to, to the theme song of our podcast. Oh man. Ah. Although the I'm thought sure. that that's the the fact that that's a thought that I've had means it will be a, a miracle if I tie the knot, anyways. Um, <laughs> when you when you literally just mentioned that, I literally like had an instant of wow, that would be so amazing, and then it turned into a no, do don't do not. I mean, we could we could no. turn a wedding into an episode. We I, just, I mean, we'll have not, mics anyways. Do we'll not be like, don't no. no. Oh come on, man. Come on, do, do we'll do we'll do uh, we'll do a, a review of the film Wedding Crashers at a wedding <laughs> at wow. my wedding. Let's wow, do it. Yeah. let's do it. Um, so uh, before we get any further, um, we uh, you I don't know. We used to anytime we would have a guest on the show, you used to say we're mm. not alone in the universe. And as tacky as I thought that was. You've grown to miss it. I've felt its absence. Yeah, for sure. And so I'm not necessarily saying you need to bring that back, but I think okay. you need to recognize uh, the signs that mm. you had a position that you're no longer fulfilling. <laughs> sure. And if the company decides that it's going to downsize, mm. um, you know, yeah. If we're well, not going to pick up, if we're not picking up your option, then. <laughs> then that's because you had good taglines and slogans and, and you've kind mm. of dropped them. Well, I need to pick up I need to pick up some little slogan or catchphrase to to segue into having a guest. I don't have it this week, but we do have a guest and that's the most important part and that's the better part. So I'm a, happy a to guest, say Yeah. A guest by the way who does have like an intro slogan. A, a thing that he oh, says really? when he introduces himself onto, at nice. least in the things I've heard him on. And I'm oh, really cool. hoping he, I'm really hoping he does it just because it's, you know, okay. to me, to me, that solidifies that that's actually who I'm talking to. Okay. Um, so without further ado, coming at us live all the way from Las Vegas, Nevada, which is something I've, uh, well, I haven't always wanted to say it, but as long as we knew that this episode was going to be a thing, I've been looking forward <laughs> to saying it. Nice. Uh, Tim Chismar, welcome to the show. Hey, 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 it's me, it's him, it's T-I-M. Oh my gosh, that, <laughs> that is, is like... so cool. <laughs> I, if it, would, if it wouldn't be a fallacy, I would get that on a t-shirt. I would wear that <laughs> all around... And then people would come up to me and they'd be like, ah, Tim. And I'd be like, no, what are you, who, what are you talking about? <laughs> it, would be, it would be a mixture of good and bad. You'd have some people who are like, oh my God, it's you. And then other people would be like, don't you owe me some money? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So would that, I mean, would that be bad news? Like if it, if it, you know, should I, should, should I, in order to protect myself, should it say it's me, it's him, it's T-I-M. And then underneath in parentheses, it will say, Warning, not the actual Tim Chismar. That way I'm like, 
you know, no one's going to jump out of a van and like throw me into it with a bag over my head or, or is that, <laughs> is that not an issue? Right. Your, uh, your experience may vary. I think everyone everywhere should cosplay as Tim Chismar. Exactly. That's <laughs> which interestingly enough, that costume is probably just going naked. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so the way that we, we're going to get you in a second here to talk about, you know, who the hell you are and, and why the listeners, should care um but the way that we kind of got in touch with you uh is through a friend of the show so um how many times has he i guess he's been on the show twice now twice um, officially well three including our uh fundraising live episode right so stefan deshane who is the owner and operator as he would say of um Baroque's family <laughs> naturist park it's just that's his that's the way he says it and it's i, I mean it's not inaccurate i thought, I thought you were, were going to say the owner and operator of that mustache <laughs> that too that too that uh that thing should come with all kinds of warning labels and it is so it is it is magnificent it is um majestic is the word i'm looking for it honestly mm-hmm. it is the most i saw it was his birthday the other day um and his wife posted pictures of 55 pictures for his 55th birthday uh, nice. and there were some pre-stash pictures and it was it was a little jarring it was a little disconcerting to see the face without the without the hairs on it um oh, oh but wow. yeah so uh so he's been on the show Two and a half times, we'll call it. Uh, he came on to talk to us about the history of nudity in film. Um, and he also came on to talk about the film Love Actually with us. Um, and so both of those were were fun episodes. We'll have them both linked down below. Um and he also came on. We did a back. We did a COVID relief fundraiser back in March, April, May. Yeah, spring. When we when we thought that it was you know gonna maybe kind of be a quick thing and we could you know <laughs> COVID wasn't here to stay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we did a thing with him and he came on and he donated some money to us with a caveat that we mm. ourselves bared it all. Um, and so we did. Well, I mean. You know, we were naked. You, it, it was, it was the the shot was cropped in such a way not to offend the Facebook overlords. Um, but uh, but yeah. So, anyways, you, Tim, are a sort of a, a regular fixture on Stefan's podcast, the Nature's Living Show. Yeah, I believe he calls me his roving reporter. And so, <laughs> how did that come about? Well, one day I was roaming and I decided to report. Ah, <laughs> good chat. Good chat. Yep. Yep. No, I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you my original, my original take on Stefan in the podcast, uh, was, uh, not good. I was judgmental. I thought because of the whole family aspect, I thought it was going to be stuffy and uptight. Uh, and I just, I never listened to any of the episodes. I was like, oh, this is going to be so you know, so squeaky clean and just any fun sucked out of it. So I, I never gave it a shot until the guy <clears throat> was literally in Las Vegas and hit me up and said, you know, do you want to do an episode of the podcast? And who am I to turn down going on a podcast? Sure. So that was my, that was my introduction to the guy. And then I was like, Oh wow. He's, 
he's not like I thought he was at all. Like he was, he's very uh, progressive and forward thinking and uh, isn't stuck to some of the old rules of the old guard of nudism. And I, we had them, we had a really great talk and then uh, he stuck around at my condo and we chatted about a lot of things and that opened the door to, um, you know, me listening to more episodes and then offering to provide some content. And uh, one of my favorite episodes, he interviewed um, Kate Logan, the girl who, you know, dropped her. um, She was valedictorian of a graduating high school class and she dropped her um, robe and was nude and did her uh, valedictorian speech in the nude in front of her, you know, the, the parents and the teachers and the faculty and blah, blah, blah. And I'd always heard about this as like a, an urban legend. I knew the place where it happened. I knew the name of the girl, but I never, I never, you know, I obviously never heard from her and I, I never heard any follow-up about it. Anyway, he, he got her on the podcast and interviewed her and it was fascinating and it. I, I thought it was amazing. And so, um, yeah, I'm happy to be a part of his, his podcast, but in nudism in general, I've, I've been, uh, I'm a regular fixture on clothesfree.com, which is like a, uh, a nudist channel and, uh, kind of like a nudist YouTube and they cover a lot of, uh, or uncover a lot of events. And, um, <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I've ever since I, well, I mean, we, you want to start at the at the beginning? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, tell us, tell us, yeah, tell us who you are. Tell us, you know, why, why are the movie men interviewing and sitting down and chatting with a guy named Tim Chismar? <clears throat> I have no idea. You guys really should do a better job of screening. <laughs> well, you know, the regular girl is on mat leave and it's like, it's just hard well, to find good help. As long as I'm here. Um, I've done some stuff in, in, uh, in television and film and comics and, uh, pop culture and blah, 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 blah. And so, um, yeah, I'm going to swing through some of the bullet points and just talk, uh, and, and, you know, maybe some lessons will come up or some stories that you've never heard or whatnot. So, um, yeah, I appreciate coming on and, uh, thanks for giving me an opportunity and, uh, yeah, I'll just blaze through some, uh, some stuffs. Sure. Yeah. And if we cool. have any questions along the way, we will, uh, we'll let you know. <laughs> if you have any questions, keep them to yourself. All right. <laughs> please, please hold your applause until the end. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in Pennsylvania and uh, my parents are convicted felons. Um, they met on a bus coming back from prison. My mother served time for um, some violence and my dad was a drug dealer. And, uh, you know, your standard love story. They, they met on, they literally were both released on the same day. And so the bus went to the men's prison and then the women's prison. And then they were driving to Erie, PA. And he went and sat next to her and they hit it off. And uh, anyway, that was me. So- That's how I got started. So does that make you like you're basically Bane at that point? You're basically oh. right. You're basically born in a in a in a pit. Mexican prison in a pit. Yeah, that's 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 amazing. <clears throat> well, it's it's fascinating that the pedigree is uh, is a gated community, <laughs> and then I end up working <laughs> in Hollywood. Okay, uh, so. <laughs> So I, uh, my mother took my sister and I ran away. Um, she had been abused as a kid and dropped out of school in the 10th grade, spent most of her, you know, her adult life in prison. So she wasn't mentally prepared to really have kids. And so, uh, she had a lot of like mental abuse on us where she told us there were demons in the house and that our, our rooms were haunted and all this kind of stuff. So 
She also got uh, welfare assistance and couldn't hold a job and just all kinds of, um, you know, mental problems. And I say that because I graduated high school, went to college. While I was in college, I did radio, TV, uh, wrote for the newspaper, um, started promoting live professional wrestling shows where um, I literally had like I, that's where I learned about advertising, sponsorship, promotion, putting butts in seats, working with talent, all that kind of stuff. And I had like uh, wrestlers who were a little bit um, past their prime. And then I had the up and coming people uh, like, for example, Beth Phoenix, uh, who is fire, who wrestled for me as Firebird Phoenix. She's a WWE a Hall of Famer. And uh, she went through my territory and a bunch of other ones. And used some older guys like Tony Atlas and, you know, just all the King Kong Bundies of the world and, and such. So did that, uh, all that graduated in 2005. Uh, with a thousand dollars in my pocket and no contacts, moved to Hollywood. And um, a couple of friends and I, uh, we had this dream that like we were gonna, you know, whatever, take over Hollywood, make it. But the real world, you got to be able to balance out your um, all your choices. And um, out of the three of us, I was the only one who stuck around. So uh, my friends. <clears throat> my one friend got two women pregnant, which is never a great idea for uh, no. sustaining a career in entertainment. Hmm. And yeah. uh, the other guy was had a very fragile um, like ego, I guess. He had a very fragile uh, – he didn't have a lot of wherewithal to withstand people crapping on his passions. And, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> which is also a big thing in any creative industry. Yeah, you're gonna get like, you're you're gonna get way more no's than any uh, any yeah, yeses. Yeah, absolutely. And and so uh, in particular, when we finished the first screenplay uh, that we wrote together, which I did the majority of the um, the work on, but they paced around, and you know, I, I felt more comfortable doing things in a in a group atmosphere. Um, <clears throat> like for example, the wrestling promotion that I ran, I had a business partner for that as well so i just i don't know for me i liked having the training wheels of having somebody to work with um so anyway when we finished it um his his dad and his family was very like old old timey southern um anyway he, he was on the phone with his dad one day when i saw his dad break his heart and uh he, he was on the phone with his dad. Something really bad happened. And uh, when he hung up the phone, he looked like he wanted to cry, but he was too tough of a fraternity guy to, uh, to ever do that. And he told me that his father said to him uh, that if we ever sold the screenplay that we had written, uh, he told him that he could find the biggest, fattest black woman and he would kiss her ass. That's what huh. his dad said to him. Wow. And he threw in black woman just to be extra racist. Good, nice sure. guy. Sure, yeah, just and, to be, uh, yeah. Right, right, because that's worse than uh, white ass. Okay. Sure, apparently. <laughs> so, he, um, so he said that to him, and the guy, uh, it, it broke him. It, it, it broke him. He knew his, his dad, you know, um, you know, had no belief. or Anyway, in less than a month later, he had left Hollywood and uh, went to work for his dad, and he's never come back. So, wow. I uh, so I watched I watched that happen to my my buddies. 
Now, I I did get to option the screenplay. It was the first screenplay that I ever optioned. Um, the way I did it, I always try to share it with people because it's the first of many in a career of uh, thinking outside the box and kind of doing things by my own. Um, have either of you, you guys are, I know you guys are like uh, critics or, or fans of film, but have either of you wrote a screenplay? I haven't, no. So my no. quick little background is I, um, when I was 16, 16? When I was like 16, 17 years old, um, I picked up DJing as kind of a, a hobby and side hustle. Um, and then in order to advertise my DJing business, um, I thought to myself, hey, I should I should make a, a, a video about me as a DJ. <laughs> and I don't know why I thought that, because I had no, I didn't even know if we owned a video camera. And I certainly didn't know how to edit video. I didn't know how to do anything like that. Um, but yeah, I ended up self-teaching myself. Um, God, at the time, it would have been probably Windows Movie Maker um, before graduating to Premiere. Uh, and yeah, and just became sort of a self-taught um, film, short film, writer, director, producer type person. Um, and yeah, but no, I have I, I don't have any uh, I don't have any feature length screenplays um, or even you know any substantial screenplay that's just sitting on my on my hard drive collecting dust. <laughs> Okay. Well, I um, <clears throat> here's here's how I sold the first screenplay. Um, because it's not the way you're supposed to do it. So, uh, I didn't know anybody. Didn't have any connections. But there was a comedy club not too far away from where we were staying. So we were in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Um, because we didn't own a map. So we were like like an hour and a half from Hollywood, which is where we should have been. But uh, we were close to this. The world famous Improv is a chain of comedy clubs out here. And uh, there was one in Ontario, California. The script that we wrote was called Checkered Flags, a comedy about race. And it was about um, a black guy who goes in a NASCAR. And this was 2005. So it was pre-Talladega Nights. And it was like uh, a lot of humor was about the um, fish out of water kind of thing. Like the, the good old boys with this, uh, you know, with this different guy uh, from the other side of the tracks who, you know, shows up. And anyway, in order to, to help sell it, we wanted to attach a strong black comedian. Median, and there was no way we were going to get close to Chris Rock or Chris Tucker. So we, um, so I decided, uh, I saw that, um, what's his name? Um, oh, oh, it escapes me right now. There's, um, he was Would in undercover, he was in undercover brother. Um, gosh, darn it. Oh, um, we'll do a quick Google name? search here. Under, I'm doing it's, it right now. Um, Undercover yeah, brother. Uh, Eddie, Eddie Griffin. Griffin. Eddie Griffin, yes. Yeah. So Eddie Griffin was uh, performing stand-up that weekend. So I decided that I would take a cardboard cutout that said, Hey, Eddie, on one side. And on the other side, screenplay, the number four, you, on the other side. And, uh, <laughs> and I... I I said, I'm going to go over to the improv and wait uh, by the back entrance where he would have to go uh, to do a show. And so I went over there and I had my sign and the security looked at me kind of like, you know, what are you doing? But they didn't order me to go away. 
And uh, so, you know, and I, I let him know I'm not going to shoot the guy or kidnap him or anything. I just have this sign <laughs> and I'm a fan. Uh, so anyway, his limo pulled up. He got out with uh, his entourage, you know, a bunch of people and some girls. And uh, he was walking my way. And I held up my sign that said, hey, Eddie. And he kind of nodded in my direction. And then I turned it around and it said screenplay for you. And he walked over and said, what do you got? Wow. Wow. And that's wild. So he, he gave me his publicist number and I phoned her. And when she found out that we were registered with WGA and that we were, you know, doing everything we were supposed to do, we were able to attach him to it. And that helped me to option my very first screenplay. Wow. Wow. That's, that's unreal. Amazing. That's great. Well, it's the kind of thing that if somebody had told you that they were going to do it, you know, a- anybody in the industry would be like, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's bad form. That's low rent. That's blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but I didn't know any different. I didn't, you know, and it worked. So that's the thing. I mean, in my career, there's been a lot of opportunities. There's been a lot of uh, moments where, you know, somebody would be like, don't do that. And then I would do that and it would work out for me. So, sure. you know. That's just kind of what I what I did, but um, like for example, uh, after my my friends kind of petered out and I was left uh, on my own, I went into stand up comedy, and the whole reasoning for stand up, I had been an improv troupe in college and stuff, but the reason I went into stand up and ended up being a touring headliner for like thirteen years was because I wanted it to be me and a microphone. I knew that uh, I was sick of these partnerships that didn't work out. And uh, so I went into stand up because it's a, you know, a brick background and a microphone and me. And if I'm funny, great. If I'm not, that's, that's on me. It's just, I take it on myself. I'm sick of other people letting me down. But, but here's the thing. Very early on, I learned that stand-up comedians have zero power. You are the lowest rung on the totem pole, and you're uh, looking up to these bookers and the comedy clubs and the venues is like, please, sir, I'm funny. Please give me a shot. And I had come from the world of uh, promoting pro wrestling fights and events and dealing with sponsorship and promotion, advertising, all this kind of stuff. And so for me, I looked at it like, I don't want to just be a comic. Please give me... A, a spot I wanted to be the booker promoter and so um, my idea that I had was since I had come from stand-up comedy I or I mean uh, from pro wrestling I thought why don't I combine pro wrestling and stand-up comedy and hmm. so <clears throat> I had two comedy coaches at the time Gary Cannon and Johnny Dam. And uh, I asked Johnny Dam first. I said, uh, <clears throat> I have this idea, uh, a little out there, but I'm thinking of combining the elements of, of uh, pro wrestling. So, you know, uh, the MC would wear a referee shirt, and uh, there would be feuds and fights and title belts and good guys and bad guys, and, you know, <clears throat> it would be predetermined just like wrestling, so I can build up to big events and touring stuff and blah, 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 and there'd be stables and just all the elements uh, of, of, of um, wrestling. And he told me, uh, he said, Tim, that's the worst idea I've ever heard. If you want to work in this business, don't tell anyone that stupid idea. And uh, and I said, oh, okay. Oh, wow. I, I, hadn't, I didn't expect that. And uh, I kept it to myself for a while longer. And then I... It just kept kicking around in my head, so I mentioned it to the other guy, and Gary Cannon said, that's the greatest idea I've ever heard. Let me call the general manager at the Ontario Improv and get you a night to try it out. (laughs) So, 
Yeah, I ended up getting, I think it was a like a Tuesday, uh, which is, in stand-up, you want to be as close to the weekend as you can, so it was a pretty rough day to start off, but um, we, not only did we do really well, um, and it became a hit, we ended up doing, um, I ended up doing Ontario, Irvine, Brea, Hollywood, the John Lovitz Comedy Club, touring, we used to, we would hit max capacity, we're turning people away, but the thing is, not only do we have the interest of comedians who love wrestling, like Ralphie May and Gabriel Iglesias and Brad Williams, and all these guys, but I had the wrestlers <coughs> who lived or were, t- were visiting in Southern California and didn't want to wrestle. Uh, so they didn't want to travel and they didn't want to wrestle, but they happened to be in the neighborhood. So the first person who hopped on my very first show was, uh, I don't know if you guys follow wrestling at all, but um, his name was Rob Van Dam. And well, uh, I actually have a question for you about wrestling. Is this, okay. is this a good time? Sure. So, okay. So I've, I have never watched a wrestling match. And there's a reason. Um... And I've had people tell me that it's a silly reason and that I should just watch wrestling. But okay. I just I've struggled I've struggled to get over this my reasoning. So I understand that there is a you know, like okay, so there's a big behind the curtain secret. A lot of pro wrestling is is showmanship, it's scripted, sometimes who's going to like often, I think probably most of the time the person who's going to be victorious in the fight has been predetermined. Is that, am I, I'm, am I off the mark or is that accurate? No, that's, that's accurate. Yeah. Okay. So, and there's storylines, like there's, there's sort of a, there's sort of a a story that's happening throughout, you know, oh, so-and-so defeated this person and then this person's comeback and, and so on and so forth. I am, um, and the only way to describe this, the only way I've found to describe it, is I am, when it comes to anything uh, in the entertainment world, I am a completist. Um, so a couple of examples of this. When I first got into the Assassin's Creed video games, I think there were like four of them out at that point, and four with the exception of like the modern day Desmond story, they were kind of pretty much standalone games. Um, But it didn't matter to me. I had to go on eBay and find myself Assassin's Creed 1, Assassin's Creed 2, Brotherhood. uh, And then I think I was ready to play Revelations at that point. Um, And I just, I couldn't do it any other way. Another example is Pete is a big... 007 fan, specifically the Daniel Craig 007. Mm-hmm. And and Pete is, and my, now myself included, very excited and looking forward to the release of No Time to Die. Uh, and and there was a discussion early on, and Pete said, well, we, you know, we, we got to review this film when it comes out. And I said, well, I've never seen any, any 007 film. I don't know, I don't know if I'm, you know, equipped or, or ready to do that. And Pete said, uh, well, you know, you really just have to watch the Daniel Craig ones, and that's probably fine. And I said, no, no. If we're going to do this thing, we're going to do this thing properly. And so over the course of the last year, we watched and reviewed every single friggin' 007 film, including the two non-Eon, like the ones that aren't produced by Eon, so they're technically not in the same loose canon continuity. Um 
But yeah, so when it comes to something, I'm like, I gotta just start from the beginning. It's the reason I'll never play the Final <clears throat> Fantasy video games. It's because there's too many at this point, and I don't know how to go back and track down the originals, and I don't know how to do, you know, I would never, I could never get into Bold and the Beautiful because I don't have enough life left. There's not enough life in me to go back and watch a sitcom, or a, not a sitcom, a, a, a soap opera that has like... 15,000 episodes at this point. And so I feel this very same way about wrestling. I don't know how to just jump into pro wrestling at this point because there's stories and I'm always going to feel like I'm missing something that was prior. I'm always going to feel like something has to be explained to me in order for me to really get what's going on. Am I, am I way out to lunch on this? Yeah, because there's <clears throat> there's multiple characters. So each character's arc could start as early as you starting to watch it. So, for example, there's talent on the independent circuits that just got hired today. And so that's their first day in the company. So, uh, you know, you following right. that person's career. Uh, and the other thing is, just like a lot of <clears throat> sports you know, you could be invested in somebody and then they get hurt or, or die or, or whatever. So, um, yeah, you should just, you should just give it a, um, yeah, just give it a, well, first off, you could go the rest of your life and never try it. And that's okay too. But if you wanted to, I would say, try to pick something that's, you know, fun. And since you didn't grow up with it, there's no nostalgia. So it's not like you're going to like, you were never a Hulk Hogan kid. No, no, not at all. Hulk Hogan, Undertaker, uh, the rock all of that is is yeah i think the most the closest thing i've ever come to wrestling watching wrestling is in the f- first sam raimi spider-man when he's in the ring yes with, with what bone yes. saw or something and mm-hmm. that's it that's like that's the closest to watching a wrestling match <clears throat> i've ever come oh interesting and even you're you guys are uh, are you both canada guys yes, yes. yeah okay ontario well, it, represent well the uh you know the hearts are huge in canada brett the hitman Hart, who is a, a friend of mm. mine and i've done some work with um you know the the Hart family and stampede wrestling and that's a, a big part of you know uh, canadian culture up there so i'm surprised a little bit mm. but mm. uh famous relative and you don't you know I, I would i would love to see you give it a shot try something fun like uh the royal rumble or or something that has a ton of personalities so you can get a little um you know a a chuckle out of it uh what i thought you were gonna say is the thing that usually makes people not want to watch wrestling which is the um that they can't get over the fact that it is uh that it's predetermined and and my stock answer for that is that it doesn't stop you from watching your favorite fight scene in a movie nobody 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 watches nobody watches uh you know a marvel film and and they think for a second Thanos is going to win the day. Like the, it's, it's dramatic yeah. reenactment of ritual. Um, you were talking mm-hmm. about James Bond. You never put in a James Bond movie thinking that the villain might kill him in the third act. You know, it's not going to happen. Then why the heck do you watch it? You know? Right. Well, and it's, it's no different than like man versus wild or something, right? Where you're, where you're looking at it and you're like, Oh wow, bear grills. And he's, he's really isolated. And you're going, well, yeah, except for the, the guy, except for the, the guy with the camera and then the guy with the mic and the guy with the, like, <laughs> And they're not isolated. So really, yeah, he's not he's not scaling this cliffside by himself. But you know, you you suspend that disbelief a little bit, and you allow yourself to get lost in it. It was the same thing with Survivor, 
right? I just went back and watched the first season of Survivor, which is something I hadn't seen since. And I don't think I've seen any seasons since, but I remember when Survivor first hit and it was like this big, it was like American Idol, right? It just kind of swept the nation. Everyone was watching American Idol. And it's so funny, everyone was watching Survivor. And it's so funny to me because um, I used to think when watching Survivor, in the first season, along with the rest of the world, I used to think that Richard Hatch, which was the guy that spent the entire first season on the island, basically spent the whole season naked. Um, I used to think this guy was completely out to lunch. Uh, and then, you know, having having Stefan on the show so many times and having good conversations with Stefan, I'm a little more like, oh, okay, well, I mean, you know, he was on the beach and it was sunny. And everyone else was like making clothes out of leaves, which doesn't sound comfortable to me. So <laughs> maybe he was the intelligent one on the end. But again, like, you know, I go back and I watch Survivor and I think to myself, was this, is this all as authentic as it seems? Not really. You know, there's, again, there's camera crew set up and there's generators and there's, and nobody on this island is going to friggin' die of dysentery. Nobody's going to. Like, <laughs> if, if shit hits the fan, there's a medic team there right away with, you know, whoppers and whatever else they need to to resuscitate these guys. So yeah, you know, I I honestly the the fact that it's it's put on doesn't really bother me. I think that's that's actually just fascinating. Well, the the craziest part about that nudist guy was that he didn't pay his taxes on his winnings. That's the that's the craziest part about him. He ended up yes, doing a little wow. jail time for that. But uh you know, Foley, Mick Foley, uh this famous pro wrestler wrote a book called um uh, the real world is faker than wrestling. And he talks about his experience working with reality television and he gives all these examples. So it's specifically like hmm. in the book, um, just how things are set up. And I mean, golly, we're finding out more and more about how, um, you know, things aren't the way they're presented to us all over the place. So, um, but you know, Sam Kinison had a great bit. He used to talk about uh, those commercials that would be for the starving kids in Africa and how, you know, just, you know, 35 cents a day or whatever can save the kids. And then he would start screaming and ranting. What about the cameraman? Why don't you put down the camera and give him a sandwich? And, you know, it's uh, right. so that kind of, you know, that's been around for a long time. But anyway, that's um so I, I did it. I, I combined the, the wrestling and the comedy, and we had a touring brand. And a few years into it, by 2010, I actually sold my first TV show to the Country Music Channel, and that was Championship Comedy. So that oh, cool. idea that the guy told me not to do got me my very first TV deal. Right, okay. So, Tim, um, Tim, can I ask you a question that, that's kind of, kind of reflecting or uh, resonating with me, kind of as you've told your story so far? And you've talked about it sounds like a war of attrition. Like a lot of people come to Hollywood and that seems to kind of be like the fairy tale story. We all move to Hollywood, but very few actually stick it out and stay and stay to have success stories like you are telling right now. And you mentioned like you have to have thick skin. You got, you got to be okay with people saying no more often than you say yes. And just like you said, getting crapped on for any creative idea that you have. And so I, I guess I got like a really quick two-part question that I just really want you to answer. One is, do you think you just had that personality that was like that could just move past those criticisms and people saying no, or is that something you developed? And the second is like, uh, how do you determine like when you say okay 
these people are saying no I'm just going to drop it or how do you know no I'm, I'm going to that person said no I'm going to switch it to the next person because they might say yeah that's the greatest idea I've ever heard well it's um, the first part of your uh, the first part of your question I, I think I stuck with it because I hate real jobs and uh, we all we all kind of exist in a comfort zone so what I'm more comfortable with for good or for bad, and I, I've certainly done enough, you know, therapy because there's there's both. But remember, the way I grew up was watching my mother uh, manipulate the system. You know, she got all this uh, free money and free food and all this from the government, and she could have worked. She could have went out and got a job. I watched her. You know, she would prep me and my sister on what to say to the people. Like we would say uh, that we didn't know who her father was. Uh, you know, all so like we 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 were we were trained to lie and to game the system and you know i remember her going around like collecting money for the local church and that money was what we were going to blow on toys or something so i learned very early on you know manipulation and the system and basically to dumb it down i learned that if you're a regular person and you play by the rules then you're a sucker then you're somebody who gets taken advantage by somebody else. And so very early on, I was like, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to work nine to five and pay my taxes and hope to be, you know, uh, taken care of someday. I'm going to chase after the crazy, wild, outrageous stuff, because even if it fails, it's way more fun. It's way more exciting. Uh, hmm. And and I, I just gravitate towards that that lifestyle. I, I always I always have. And as far as knowing whether or not to stick with something, you know whether it's really going to be a, a good uh, a good idea or not. I, I don't. I don't know. It's entirely instinct. I just had to. Um, you know, and not everything I've stuck with has worked out. Um, you know, we'll we'll get to my breakdown. I had a I had a I had like a nervous mental breakdown the end of 2016 because I was sick of being the guy who worked on everybody else's projects, but I couldn't get my own going. So, um, you know, it, it hasn't all been uh, roses and cotton candy, but I just, you know, it, it, there have you have either of you ever watched the documentary Comedian by Jerry Seinfeld? Uh, no, no. He tells a story. Uh, he's talking to a young comedian, and the young comedian is kind of complaining to him about on the documentary. Like this, this is, they just catch this at one of the clubs. Uh, this young comedian's name is uh, Orny Adams, and Orny is complaining to him about how long it's taking to be a success in stand-up comedy. And he's talking about like my friends are getting married and having kids and buying houses, and here I am, you know, doing open mics at two in the morning, and I just feel like I'm spinning my wheels. And Jerry says, uh, "Is there something else you'd rather?" be doing is there something else that you you know you really want to have that kind of life let me let me tell you a story and then he tells him the story about this band um this like uh, you know whatever 12 piece band or something that had this gig that they were going to be doing well there was a problem with the um the traffic and uh their flight ended up landing a few miles away from their gig and they couldn't get a ride and so they're walking in the snow and they're carrying their instruments and you know they're trudging along and it's cold out and on the journey they see this little cabin and they look through the window and there's this beautiful Norman Rockwell scene where there's this family and the dinner tables set and the kids and the the wife is beautiful and the you know they're all sitting there and there's a fireplace and these guys are out in the cold shivering with their instruments you know lugging it to their next gig and they look in that window and they look at that family and they look at each other and they say how can people live like that 
that's <laughs> the mentality of us performers. We look at what mm. the regular people are doing and what makes you comfortable, and it does nothing for us. We want that that excitement and that craziness and that next gig and that next event and that next job and that that's that's just what uh, you know. Some people are wired for it and some people aren't. And I'm yeah. this is what I love. Yeah. So can I ask you about your? Uh, I want to ask you about your stand up comedy stint here um i'm looking at your imdb biography um and uh and some sometimes these things are accurate and sometimes they're not so i want to run a couple of names past you here um and i want to after i say each name if in like a hundred words or less if you can just give us the quick um why that name is on this list of people who you've rubbed elbows with um and uh yeah why the names on the list and and how it happened and and sort of what that was what that was like um so we have names like jeff foxworthy yeah i've i've worked with foxworthy the the easiest example is i was on um the the game show are you smarter than a fifth grader so i met him on there and then ended up doing some punch-up work with him and some other projects but that was uh we shared an episode of a game show together okay uh john lovitz i started off so so first off i'd been a fan of john i always loved the critic and uh, what he did on saturday night live well he opened his own comedy club in hollywood and i started off as just a you know guy looking to get some time and then very quickly i became a producer of shows we ended up having um i would do i i would headline um one weekend a month i would do uh regular tapings there i did the bmoc the big men of comedy tour which was four funny fat guys comedy off the scale and we had the dvds there right next to a bunch of his movies and he dropped in on my shows and we became good buddies and he's uh he's just the best he's a really great guy wow he's he's yeah he's he's phenomenal um the incredible dana carvey dana is fantastic dana uh, actually did a, a series of shows at the Ontario Improv and I was, um, because I was in good graces with the improv chain, I was able to work on those shows. So I did some MC work, some, some middle work and the best, the best little snippet of advice Dana ever gave me about the comedy business. Uh, and this kind of goes into what we were talking about earlier, but he said his quote to me, which, um, I put in my memoir that I found out was by, uh, he had, he had, he had taken this quote from somebody else, but I first heard it from him. He said, I would rather be a failure at something I love than a success at something I hate. And, uh, and that, you know, that summed up this whole mindset of being a comic and chasing after all this crazy stuff. Wow. See, so the, ulti- the ultimate goal in life would be to get Dana Carvey to do a impression of you being, you know, <laughs> being the, the king of impressions, basically. <laughs> uh, and then finally, the the uh, the incredible the, the my idol, the man who I would crawl across a thousand meters, sorry, feet of um, of broken glass just to just to kiss the man's feet. Uh, but you've you've worked with or at least have have had conversations with Kevin Smith. 
Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin and I go way back. It's it's the Comic-Con universe. I've been a regular sure. on panels of Comic-Con for like a decade and Kev's all over that place. So we've we've had lots of talks. We have a lot of mutual friends. Uh, Vincent Roca had him in a book and Vince is a friend of mine. Vince did a, a movie called Kisses and Caroms. And then he went on to do two books about how to write and produce uh, and direct your own movie. And um, Kevin's Kevin's fantastic. I did a lot of work promoting a movie called Oh, it was a documentary about the Nicolas Cage Superman movie that never got made. So yes, he and I, yes, Superman lives. Mm-hmm. So we did some work with that. And then of course when the guy who put it together passed away, you know, John the guy who was mm-hmm, we we yeah. had some uh you know some some connections there as well. And, and yeah, Kevin's, Kevin's great. Kevin, actually, I'll tell you a little quick, uh, Kevin's fifth, uh, tidbit. So Kevin, uh, had a feud with Tim Burton back in the day and it was in relation to, there was some panels in a comic book that he did in between like, uh, you know, uh, dogma and clerks too, or something like that. He did a comic sure. book and there was a couple of scenes in his comic book that ended up, it was a parody at the time, but it ended up being very similar to the movie he did, um, uh, planet of the apes. And so right. tongue in cheek, Kevin said that he had stole those ideas from his comic book. But when it got reported to Tim, it came across like Kevin is accusing you of stealing his ideas and so tim had a bunch of nasty things to say about kevin and he ended up kind of biting himself in the butt with a few of the things he said like uh anybody he just kind of you know you don't want to argue with a comedian because we'll twist what you say and so so he said uh, anybody who knows me knows i don't read comic books and then kevin smith took the obvious fruit yeah that explains batman and you know so they <laughs> so, so they went back and forth and my my point is uh at one point tim Tim, Tim Burton said, anybody who knows me knows I would never read anything by Kevin Smith. That's bottom of the barrel. And Kevin took that quote and put it on one of his books. So <laughs> when I was hanging out with Kev and, and I had the opportunity to ask for, you know, a blurb on my writing, I specifically asked him for a hate quote because I wanted my Tim Burton moment. So my yeah. quote from Kevin Smith is, uh, <laughs> I would never read anything by Tim, that's bottom of the barrel. I don't go in that direction. Pleasure, thank you for that. So it's, it's firstcomicsnews.com and I'm Tim Chismar. Okay. Um, I don't read comic book news and I would especially never read first comic book news by Tim. That's, that's bottom of the barrel. I don't go in that direction. <laughs> so that's, that's my oh Kevin my Smith blurb. That's amazing. Oh man, I honestly, if I could, if I could just get the man to answer my emails, I would die happy. But yeah, no, John Schnepp, um, and the, I followed that, the Superman lives thing quite closely. Um, and it, cause it, as far as John Schnepp goes, like I've for a number of years now, and probably the thing that got me into, uh, film pundency is, um, was that crew was the crew that started at AMC, uh, movie talk. So you had John Schnapp and Dennis Zen and John Campia, who is is still in the business but doing it sort of on his own now. And and probably, I would say John Campia is probably the best in the business for what he's doing. Um, but yeah, very very sad and tragic when uh, when John Schnapp passed because he was he was a you know as he would have said himself he was a diehard sweaty. He was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he was a, a fan of, 
he was just a fan of everything and he was and nothing nothing made him smile more <clears throat> than people who were passionate about something passionate fandom is what drove him uh and it didn't even matter what you were passionate about even if it was something he wasn't into he just loved seeing other people passionate about about comic book canon or star wars canon or you know whatever it was he, he just loved that so yeah very very sad and tragic and if people haven't checked out the documentary uh the death of superman lives what happened that is, uh, yeah, you'll learn all about, there was almost, I don't know if you know this, Pete, there was almost no. a Tim Burton-directed Superman movie starring a long-haired Nicolas Cage as Superman. Um, this is this is unreal news to me. This is incredible. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's there's test footage of him in the suit. There's all kinds of stuff. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I'll send you stuff. And then Kevin Smith wrote, Kevin Smith was brought in to do a screenplay um, and had a meeting with one of the producers that I can't remember, remember the name of the producer, but the producer was like, wanted all of this weird, like clearly he had never read a Superman comic and clearly he had probably also never seen even like the, the, the Donner, like Christopher Reeve Superman movies. Um, but was like, wanted all this really weird shit in the movie and Kevin kind of kept appeasing him and appeasing him and appeasing him until Kevin was no longer on the project. And one of the things that he wanted was a giant mechanical, he wanted Superman to fight a giant mechanical spider in like the third act. And Kevin was like, what? Like, <laughs> really? And he was like, but he was like super passionate. Like the producer was like super hmm. passionate. Hey, about this giant hey, man, hey, spider. it's a Thanagarian snare beast, okay? Oh, and he wanted, but he wanted it so bad and so bad and so bad. And anyways, the film didn't end up happening. And the next film that that producer ended up working on was the Kevin Klein, um, Will Smith film, Wild Wild West, in oh, which yeah. the third act of the film. Right. Features a giant mechanical spider. So, I mean, oh, the yeah. guy got his way. He got his uh, way. I, either way, the next film that that guy produced was going to have a giant mechanical <laughs> spider. <laughs> the way God intended. And the there's... Way, there's yeah. And there's lots of other fun tidbits. It's it's a worthwhile documentary to see because that producer was very eccentric and he doesn't hide from the things that, you know, you would think he would deny. But on camera, he's he's telling stories about how he choked out a writer and how, uh, uh, oh, he wanted Superman to fight somebody at the Fortress of Solitude. Yeah, and Kevin why is Smith anyone is else like, there? There's nobody else there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. Um, so Tim, I want to ask about future projects. I know, so I've listened, I've done my homework and I have listened to your episode of Stefan's podcast. Um, the one that, that you're a guest in, not a correspondent. Um, and, uh, yeah, you've got some, you've got some future potential projects in the pipeline, including a horror film about aliens that, uh, that will, and I'm going to butcher this this synopsis, but aliens that will only not kill you if you're naked. Is that, am I missing the mark? 
No, that's 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 kind of, that's about right. Um, I've been a member of the Horror Writers Association. I have novels out, wrote for magazines, Fangoria, stuff like that. I've done I've done a ton of things at the same time. That's why it's kind of funny when I do these kind of interviews. It's like I kind of have to pick a lane and talk about the things in that lane. But the truth is, from stand up to Comic Con to horror to nudism to whatever, I've done all all this stuff at the same time. And, uh, yeah, uh, uh, I wrote a screenplay back in 2013 for a movie called Naked Alien Massacre. And it's my life's passion. It's the thing that if I die tomorrow, I'll be sad that I never got to, to, you know, actualize and make happen. But yeah, basically it is a, um, a woman from a religious family goes to an art college and has a crush on her nude model. And he, you know, it's totally okay for him to be nude in that setting. That's fine for her comfort zone. But then when she finds out he lives at a nudist resort, um, you know, but she still has a crush on him uh, and he invites her to come and stay for the weekend. It's, it's a bit of that fish out of water story, but there's a ton of other story threads such as, um, the resort is surrounded by demon frightening terrifying aliens and these aliens uh have the vision of like predator where when predator would look at you he was attracted to your heat uh sensor your your heat he has heat vision my aliens have closed vision so they look at oh. things like they look at a raccoon, he's fine. They look at a cat, he's fine. They look at a horse, he's fine. They look at you, you're surrounded by textile clothing, which is an abomination of nature, thus you must must die. So the people who have founded this resort knew about it and they have worked with the aliens. So it, there's a bit of a um, playing God where when somebody comes to the resort, if they don't like you, they encourage you to keep your clothes on. You know, oh, well, we don't want people to see you from the road. So on the hiking trail make sure you keep your clothes on well they're sending you <laughs> off to die and then and then if they really like you well it's a nudist resort and we really appreciate that you will get naked and join in and so there's there's a little bit of that and then there's a crazy ranger in the woods who is the conspiracy theorist who's been waiting for his moment to take down the aliens and there's all this other stuff that come into play there's the uh, stylistic choices of these creatures and aliens and then for me as a nudist i i want to have that discussion that you know, I, I don't want it to be overly uh, sexual. I just want it to normalize nudity. So there's these naked people who are having a full-on movie, and I I want to have that discussion where people bring up the nudity and they show their signs of ignorance. And I want to be able to stand behind it and say, you know, so what? Like it has it has you know the the scare and the and the violence and the grossness of a great horror flick, and they happen to be naked. And so what? Deal with it. And I just want it to be part of the story. So that that's my um. Yeah, but I've well, never, you know, it, it hasn't come to be yet. So, well, I'll tell you what. A couple of months ago, we uh, we sat down and interviewed J.P. Riley, the director of Act Naturally. Yeah, um, I know him. And at the time, so we, we we talked about Act Naturally. We talked about um, the upcoming uh, two sequels. Um, and I told him, I told him right then and there. I said, "Hey, man, I I want to be Uber driver number two. And I don't even need a speaking part. I will work incredibly cheap. I, you know, I just, I just want to be in your movie, man. And that's what I told him. And I haven't heard anything. So, Tim, I want to be Uber driver number three because my, you know, you can't. I think it's embarrassing <laughs> to have the same credit, the exact same credit in two, two separate films. But 
yeah, Uber driver number three. I will work incredibly cheap. I will, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do what I'm told. I'll show up when I'm told to show up. And, uh, yeah, you know. I'm, uh, well, I've, I've, got, uh, I've got all the contacts with Lionsgate and Shudder and all this kind of stuff. I have a – Stefan has graciously invited me to shoot at his resort in Canada. I also got the invite to shoot at the same resort that JP's movie was in, Act Naturally. <coughs> I, I mean, I mean, hey, if you're gonna shoot in Canada, because the thing with JP's thing was like, I'm like, okay, I gotta like figure out how to get to Arizona. I gotta, because I think that's where it was. I gotta figure out how to get to Arizona. I gotta do this. I gotta make a whole, you know. But if I, hey, if you're like an hour and a half down the road, good lord, man, yeah, I will. Uh, let's make it happen. I will. Uh, I'll do a yeah, lot that's... of shameful things to come be in your film. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Wikipedia or um, uh, IMDb. It can be treated like Wikipedia where people, you know, take credits off or add credits or things are in, you know, uh, planning to be in production and they never are. I raised this on a movie for a horror flick called Middle of the Night and, you know, my credit's not on there. And I've done a, a ton of stuff, but that's the one thing that, I mean, I've done punch-up work with Sandler flicks and all this kind of stuff, you know, pilots and blah 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 like you were talking about what i'm doing now uh in vegas over the last few years i've worked um there's a comedy we did last year called the year of laughing dangerously i'm the co-lead for it and it has a bunch of like 80s action stars in it and pro wrestlers and uh scream queens and all kinds of people but that's great i'm doing a movie with rick mickey rourke in santa clarita it's like a bank heist flick i'm doing a movie with randy couture called dark angels demon pit that's shooting out here in vegas um, oh, wow. with three, t- three TV stations, streaming, boxing, books, uh, publishing. I'm doing a TV pilot with a psychic and a beauty queen and all this stuff that I, like I stay busy, but it's something that I really want to, um, you know that that that's my 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 heart and soul and passion is in like Naked Alien Massacre, which um, I even feel bad having tried to raise money for so long and and you know nothing really comes together for it. That I I may change the name and adjust the script so that I don't have that stigma over it. You know, I kind of feel like the boy who cried wolf. I mean, it's been years, you know. I mean, what a hmm. shame though, because you know, like I'm thinking about the the plot of the plot of the film that you're you're describing i mean i've heard um there's there's a million films that are are horrible horrible films that have been made that don't sound anywhere near as good as what you're talking about or or have even a, you know a, a a hint of semblance of any sort of story it's just like, oh, what is what was the point of this movie? This point of the movie was just so that someone could make a movie, and it's there's there's no actual passion in it, um, and so that I mean, I I would say that grinds my gears a little bit because there's there's some utter trash out there that has clearly gotten funding from someone. This this uh, I I have to agree with what Brady's saying. This is such a unique twist, and it's so yeah. I I think that there are so many kind of just insert template films whether it's about naturism or horror that fall into kind of the same tropes and this sounds so dynamically different from both those genres that it just seems like such a fresh take that yeah it would be a shame if you had to <clears throat> kind of walk away from some aspects that you love so much just to get kind of approval so i, I guess we'll I see what I've- happens 
I think I've resigned myself to the fact that I, I may just have to, um, you know, put it all together myself. Um, are you guys fans of Pascal Logier? Uh, I can't say as I know the name. I, I'm embarrassingly agreeing. I, I'm sorry, I don't know the reference. Um, I, I think he most famously is known for Martyrs, but he did The Tall Man with Jessica, with uh, Kate Beckinsale as well, and he did uh, Incident in a Ghost Land, but Martyrs is the one that really put him on the map. And he, oh, he's a, okay, he's a director, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, writer-director. A- anyway, he uh, he did a movie that uh, that was was panned, that it was like, oh, it was too neutral, too middle of the road. And so then he put his own money up and did a movie called Martyrs that he said, you know, if this is the only movie I ever do, again, it's at least going to have my vision. And he destroyed – it was part of the French New Wave. It's this amazingly – controversial horror film that you either love it or you hate it and there is no middle ground it will affect you you will think (laughs) about it you will be moved by it they did an american remake to give you an idea if you guys have the google machine in front of you if you look up martyrs there's there's the french one and then there's the american remake uh they even signed him on to do the version of hellraiser the remake because he was going to stay true to clive's vision of um gay s&m and all that and uh they got scared but this guy made a twisty turny film that is shocking and and unbelievable and he had to put an apology on the dvd because there are people who are upset when they when they watch this film uh that's how how unconventional it is anyway i feel like naked alien massacre might be mine it, it might be my uh one of you know two of my favorite films like i'm a i'm a i'm a cinephile i love movies in general i have lots of you know you can love films for lots of different reasons but two of the ones that really stay with me um was blood sucking freaks and i spit on your grave and i have Ooh. for the longest time championed i have seen i spit on your grave the the original the 70s one yeah great well i i know mayor mayor zarki the writer director i was at the premiere for his official sequel the one not the three remakes so they remade it and then made two sequels to the remake but he came out with uh i spit under grave deja vu which was the legit remake to his original and i was at the la premiere and hung out with him and his family and all this and he has been so um misunderstood in relation to his movie um because he made it to because him and his daughter were going through a park in new york city when they came across a woman who was naked who had been assaulted who had been raped and he they took her to the cops and at that time this was like late 60s the cops then berated the woman about how were you dressed how are you acting all this like putting it on her that and and the fact that the fact that this happened in front of his daughter made him affected him in such a way that he wanted to write a movie about a woman who was raped and then got revenge on all the people who raped her and you know uh, anyway my point is he, he made that movie and then what ended up happening the critics looked at it like he was glorifying the rapist like he was like this was a movie anti-woman when it's the exact opposite of what the guy tried to do so you know, I'm aware of these kinds of things in trying to do a movie with social nudism, but, um, you know, I, I feel like this is the hill I want to die on. So I want to get that one movie out, try to put my vision out there. It may be misunderstood, but at least I, I want to give it a try. I mean, that's my artistic vision. Right. Uh, Pete, do you have any other questions for Tim? 
Um, let me just look at my list quick. You answered uh, actually one of them, Tim, just with like movies that you found influential, and so you just answered that. Actually, the only other thing I think I want to ask is, and again, maybe you, you answered some of this too, as far as just rolling with the punches and you know, just accepting some no's and just waiting till you get the yes. But is there something? you would have told younger Tim when he moved out to Hollywood that you learned? Because it sounds like right from the get-go, you learned pretty quick. You got you to gotta take some, some abuse as far as people saying, you know, this sucks or give up or even some people's parents even not having confidence in them. But is there something you would have told your, your younger self, whether that, hey, you know, this gets better or, hey, this that you think you like gets worse, aim for this or something else, like something that you maybe didn't realize going into the profession and the, the career that you are that changed for the better or the worse that you would like to tell younger self, hey, this is just a heads up. Yeah. Yeah. The um, the most the most simple thing, but for some reason people make it the hardest thing. The most simple thing to do if you want to make it is to move to Hollywood. You have to move to Hollywood. Like even I, I landed Rancho Cucamonga, then I moved to Corona, then I moved to um, uh, Diamond Bar, and then North Hollywood. But that was over the course of 13 years. I should have went straight to Hollywood. When I found out my friends were in Rancho Cucamonga, I should have said, how far away is it? And here's why. When you don't live in Hollywood, you go in for the job and then you leave. When you live in Hollywood, you're running into people when you go to get milk. You're running into people at the coffee shop. And it's a lifestyle and i didn't mm. i didn't learn that i didn't learn that until much 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 later uh, my last my last three or four years was surrounded by red carpets and parties and events and celebrity this and that but it took me forever to get there because i would come in do something and then leave and you you really have to be around you have to you have to be in the circle when somebody mm. is going to an event and they like you and they're like oh i have a plus one you want to go with me you have to be ready for those kind of spur of the moment things um That's the other thing super I'll, interesting That's super well, interesting well, yeah. The other thing is, there's so many, um, there's there's so much that you have to sacrifice in order to make it that the least you can do is literally move your butt there. Because once you get there, you're going right. to have to move your job around, your mm. love life around, your debts around, your family around. There's everything else you're going to have to move anyway. That the least that you can do is physically be there. If you're in Kansas and you want to know why you haven't sold a TV show to HBO. That's the reason. You, you gotta be there. You, you gotta be there. Um, I'll give you my Daniel Tosh advice, by the way, because I think it works for a lot of different, um, career fields. It doesn't just have to be stand up, but, uh, Daniel Tosh, before he got Tosh.0, gave me this advice, word for word. And I know it <clears throat> because I wrote it in my journal and then I would repeat it to people over the years. I always told them this is what he said. And this is before he got Tosh.0, so you know it works because it's what turned him into a multimillionaire stand up comic. He he said, if you want to make it, don't get married, don't have kids, surround yourself with good comedy friends, and don't give up. It's not the most talented people that make it. It's the ones that don't give up. And what what he's saying is he's not saying for you not to fall in love and not to have a family. He's saying that there's a time and a place. And obviously, if you're trying to hop from callback to callback to audition and you got to pick up little Jimmy at uh, at daycare, it's going to affect things. It's going to cramp the, uh, you know, and, and, and the people who are hiring you, they don't care, you know, because there's so many people staying in line who will do it immediately with no complications. So oh, it's just sure. about. 
it's just about making yourself more accessible and easier to work with. And then the other thing is I, I've seen so many people who come out and say that they want to, you know, they, they show up and they, they've got all this talent. Yeah. For six months or a year, but do you have the wherewithal to, to, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And can you, can you pace yourself? And somebody who's an okay talent, but will stick around for five years is going to be much, much, much further along than somebody who showed up. And then in a year, they're not a millionaire and they're like, Oh, I'm going to go back to my hometown and work at the garage. So you got to have that kind of mindset that you're willing to put in the time. Right. Yeah, hmm. for sure. Very, very interesting. Well, Tim, uh, this has been, this has been invaluable to us. This has been amazing. It has been, um, it's been fun. It's been fun. And we're definitely going to have to have you come back. Um, we normally, Pete and I normally do a, a segment at the end of our show, uh, where we just talk about the movies we've watched in the last week. I don't know. Do you want to stick around for that? Or what are your thoughts here? Yeah, yeah, that, that's fine. And, and as you transition into this, I understand I sent you a DVD. Did you guys you did. watch it? I have seen, I have seen Killjoy Psycho Circus. I have also <laughs> watched, I have also watched all of the trailers uh, on the DVD menu. And there's, there's quite a bit, uh, there's quite a bit of other films made by that production company. Hmm. Oh brother, you're not familiar with Full Moon? Really? No, no, I know nothing, man. I'm 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 relatively new in general. I'm relatively new to the horror genre. So they I'm, they have uh, enough movies to sustain their own channel. They've got their own Netflix. Like they have an icon on Roku and and whatnot that you can watch. You know, f- whatever eight hundred full moon movies. They have a children's division called Moonbeam. They've got uh, just yeah. It's you could fall down the well forever. I mean, they they invented the Puppet Master movies. They've done Ghoulies. They've done all this stuff. Yeah. Well, I am going to have to check it out. Um. So, Tim, what have you watched this week? Last night I watched a movie called The Honeymoon Effect, or The Honeymoon, The Honeymoon something. It was about, um, it was about, uh, this married couple and they go through this, um, this like test, the scientific test. And, uh, over the course of it, there's, there's a lot of sci-fi, it's a sci-fi horror and it kind of has to deal with like clones and holograms and all kinds of crazy stuff. Cool. Was it good? Nope. <laughs> not uh not not giving a recommendation eh uh nope it had the shell of something good which is which is a shame because it looks like the writer director um was uh is married to the lead actress so it obviously was somewhat of a passion project but you know i don't know it just it, it squeezed any kind of uh fun out of it for me the the honeymoon something i'm trying to google it right now just to make sure i get this for you the honeymoon oh um no that's not it anyway uh yeah so that's that's one i binged a few things um and i i love shutter i don't know if you guys well it sounds like you're not a big horror guy so you probably don't have shutter but shutter is a, is a movie streaming channel that has these you know unique and hard to find horror flicks from of all over the world and it's it's pretty outrageous and fun and so i, I watch a a ton of shutter um have you guys seen i'm gonna hit run two by you possum or extra have you seen either of those no that's a negative both of you both. correct yeah wow 
Possum is fantastic. Possum is is real artsy and in uh, horror, and and it, it says a lot. It, it shows it doesn't tell. Uh, there's a guy who was a puppeteer who had something bad happen, and uh, he goes back to his hometown, but he's got this big creepy spidery puppet, and there's elements of him either having been an abuser of children or been abused himself, and there's a creepy uncle, and there's all these. Um, it's it's. Oh my God. It's so good. It's, it's one of the best pieces of film that I've seen in a long time. Uh, I showed it to my buddy, Mark Savage, who directs tons of films and I work with him a lot. And you, I highly recommend you check out Possum. Uh, it is so good. And then Extro is a lost gem from the past. It is the best alien horror flick that is just nuts i mean if you're if you're intrigued by what that one guy would have done with uh superman lives then you should see et lives because this is somebody taking an alien and then just completely flipping it on their head and when you are as big a fan as i am that you like listen to the commentary tracks on the hard to find dvd and all this kind of stuff you find out that there was a producer involved who pushed all these crazy elements on the movie and ended up being better for it you know like he has a black panther loose in the house you're like what where did the panther show up why is there a panther here <laughs> and, and there's a little uh, a little angry uh, midget clown with like a killer yo-yo there's like toys that come to life there's these um these aliens are just it's nihilistic and mean and and vicious and vulgar and disgusting and just over the top uh, uh an alien impregnates a woman and she gives birth to a full-grown man who tears out of her and just it's so outrageous this one eber gave it two thumbs down down it was talking about it's a video nasty and all this and i it's just it's 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 fantastic it's unapologetic and it's nice to see a movie that just is a bad guy and and it it is just it's fun it is a fun flick to uh you know to dip your toes in that you want to follow it up with a chaser that's like a romantic comedy you know but but for what it is it's it's pretty great yeah I, as of two seconds ago, I am now experiencing a seven-day free trial to Shudder. Yes! <laughs> we shall, uh, we'll, sh- we'll see how this goes, and I'll have to keep you updated. Uh, mm-hmm. Pete, what'd you watch? Uh, just one film, actually, but on topic, it was a horror film, which is ab- abnormal for me. I'm not usually a horror person. I watched Relic, a 2020 film. And I have to say, I, I'd recommend it. I, I find that, you know, in a lot of horror films, there's the uh, supernatural storyline or there can be the more realism storyline and there can be maybe something that's covered that's more like a metaphor or an allegory to like some real life application or disease that's kind of kind of being explored. I, I found that the storylines or storylines or singular or plural that were covered in Relic were very well done that kind of made me, A, interested throughout the film, but B, curious about what its actual baseline was as far as supernatural realism, metaphorical. So I, I was intrigued. It was well done. There's a lot to chew on, and it it's I, I just personally had a good time with it that it there was a lot to talk about after I watched it and I'm still kind of contemplating bits and pieces about what this means as far as if I interpret this scene that way what does that mean about the overall storyline and there's a lot to chew on it 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 was it was not the most scariest film I've ever seen it wasn't like a psychological thriller that I'm just puking in the corner because it's made me so uncomfortable so it wasn't the scariest film but it was it was well done and so um I, if you're into horror films, uh, check out the trailer. I, I'd recommend it. 
All right. What did you watch this week? I'm not going to ask what you're going to watch this week with that new subscription, but oh what did goodness. you watch this week? Uh, so I watched several films this week. Um, I actually worked my way through. I thought I had seen all three, but it turns out I had only seen the first two, uh, but wasn't missing much. Um, I watched the three Hangover movies. Uh, with like Bradley Cooper and and you know what ever since A Star is Born I really like Bradley Cooper and so I went into it thinking okay yeah you know I should give this another try the first one's the first one's good the second one I think is a little bit better just because it's like there's a lot of symmetry it's following a lot of the same beats as the first one and that's kind of funny like it feels like it's just a rehash but but it's done in kind of a funny way. Like the whole time you have this kind of, oh my God, how could this have happened again? Irony to it. Um, mm-hmm. And then the third one, they don't even, there's, they don't, they're not even hung over. Like it, it kind of, they kind of took, it, it's just a big action film, like a heist film and everything else. Like they kind of took the route of like Fast and the Furious movies where it started out about like cars and then it mm. turned into like action stars and and explosions and stuff. Um, well, and in in Hangover Three, The Rock shows up as well, right? So there's that similarity and and fights with Jason Statham and yeah, right, so, yeah. no, no, no. Uh, but yeah, it's it just it wasn't. I don't know. I I I don't know. The other, the next film I watched, uh, I watched two more. The next one I watched is kind of a guilty pleasure comedy for me. It's a comedy that I get a lot of people aren't a fan of, um, but it holds a special place in my heart. I think it's hilarious. Uh, I love Sean William Scott. I love Johnny Knoxville. Um, And so I watched the 2005 comedy, uh, The Dukes of Hazzard, the sort of modern Dukes of Hazzard movie. And you know what? I, I really like it, honestly. I think, so I first saw it in the theaters when I was however old I was in 2005 and um, my I went to I went to the movies with my best friend and his hot cousin and <laughs> and, my, and my best friend wanted to go see Sky High or some bullshit what? Uh, no and, and his hot cousin wanted to go see Duke's Hazard and sure. so I went to go see Duke's I totally like bailed on my best friend he went to go no see way. Sky High by himself um, <laughs> and I went and watched Duke's A Hazard with this this hot girl and uh, but it was totally a win because you know I got to sit beside this girl and share popcorn with her and uh, and I didn't even know at the time that there was like topless girls in the movie but I was like I don't know 13 or 14 or something at the time and I was like right on like i it was just like i was like this is i picked the right movie what is my what is my friend doing and um, then during the film like someone dropped a hundred dollars and you said excuse me sir you dropped this and they said you know what your honesty <laughs> is it. reward keep it keep and it. here's another 20 bucks like this story yeah. just keeps getting better right it just it just got better and better but yeah mid pubescent me was was cloud nine um the final film I watched was a film that I didn't choose. Someone was like, uh, I'm going to put this on. Is that okay? And I'm like, uh, yeah, okay. I mean, I didn't object. <laughs> I wasn't like objecting to it morally. I was just like, uh, I don't know if it's my type of film. But sure. on Netflix, I watched the film Burlesque. And honestly, oh, wow. 
Wow. Three th- three thumbs up. It's it's the music's great, the visuals are great, the dancing's cool. great. And uh, yeah, burlesque is just a fun story about an industry that I feel like not a lot of us really know a lot about. Um, hmm. And so yeah, it was it was kind of a it was kind of a fun fun eye opener film, and definitely definitely worth a watch if you haven't seen it. Cool. So uh, wrap this thing up, dude. Perfect. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Also, Tim, thank you so much for joining us, taking a time. Um, if the listeners haven't done so already, please check out the links to our other episodes to our show. Check out our social media pages. Please like, follow, subscribe, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can check out our Patreon page, our merchandise page. It's a way for you to help support the show, help maintain it, help it grow. It's a way for us to give some perks back to you. Um, again, thank you for listening. And yeah, Tim, thank you for joining us on this. Ah, you're killing me. You're wrapping up. And I had all these notes because I was being quiet while you guys were talking. I had all these little dot, dot, dot. Hit us with it. Hit us with it. What is it? Okay. Here's a a couple of, I'll I'll promise I'll be quick. Um, For Shudder, since you're going to it, I have two recommendations on Shudder. I won't go into the whole thing. I'll just throw the names by you. Two of the best horror movies that'll be unique and special and out of the box that you've ever seen. uh, The Golden Glove. And the other one is called Angst. I don't want you to ignore them because they're a foreign film or something. And you're like, oh, you know, this isn't for me. I'm telling you, The Golden Glove and Angst, you will, you've will never seen anything like these. Uh, the other thing is I was at the premiere for Hangover 3. A couple of my friends are in it. Great guys. Oh, I, have story, cool. I have stories about that and the director, but uh, another time. And then um, my book, I just had a new book that hit uh, second edition. And it's called Modern Madness, Gateway to the Grotesque. I have an interview with Clive Barker. I have an adaptation of the Naked Alien Massacre screenplay into a novella. Uh, I would love for people to check that out. Uh, and then uh, one very last thing I will say, there's a movie out there, the best comedy in the world, and it's not just me saying it, Jimmy Kimmel, Mike Judge, Quentin Tarantino, Vice Magazine, they all champion it, but it has not had mainstream attention, so I want to run it by you guys. Have you ever heard of Windy City Heat? I know no. the name. I haven't seen it. If you like Jackass and you love pranks this is a real life prank on a on a scumbag who deserves it but this guy is a is a horrible human being and the whole film is a prank on him and they continuously prank him to this day there are podcasts that give away his home address it's the reverse it's the reverse of um what's his name andy kaufman andy kaufman played a joke on the world this is the world playing a joke on one guy the guy is an idiot and you have to see it it's called windy city heat and you've got to see it it is a huge rabbit hole with a bajillion million zillion things and i highly recommend it okay i'm looking it up as we speak uh and listen guys every link every possible link to every possible purchasable or supportive thing that tim wants you to see he's going to send to me and it's going to be found uh in the show notes below so you're going to want to check that out as well Yeah. All right. Uh, Well, that does it for us. Uh, Yeah. Thank you for joining us. And um, we're going to be back next week with our regular programming. What do we got next week? We got another Black Mirror episode. Yeah. Another Black Mirror episode. And then our 2004 year in film vote. vote. Which we don't we don't we don't even know what that's going to be at this point. No, no. But um, there seems to be. There's a lot of there's a lot of love headed the way of of national treasure. Yeah, so I that's, think that could uh, be that's a exciting. Thing. Speaking of speaking of 
IMDb and films that are on IMDb and you don't actually think are ever actually going to be made, uh, National Treasure 3, I'm pretty sure, has been on IMDb yeah, that's right. for far too long. Let's get that thing Let's get let's, that thing greenlit. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you for listening. And until next time, bye-bye.